The question is, do I have any guidelines for interviews? Um, I would try to keep the conversation at the at the interview with what's happening for you, you know, in the in your days of practice. So if you have any questions or any difficulties, uh, but to try to keep the theme of the conversation in regard to your own experience rather than kind of a lot of uh, esoteric questions and to try to keep aware of the time, you know, that because we have a lot of people here. Uh, so those, uh, those are the main things. role of journal writing, uh, is it, does it destroy the container of this that much? Mm-hmm. I know you're not supposed to be writing, but sometimes there are small things you want to write down. The question is about journal writing. You know, how much is it appropriate to be writing things down? I would, I would do as little writing as you need to do. You know, uh, we usually recommend not doing any if you can. Uh, I would look at the motivation because a lot of times we tend to be wanting to keep any insights or understandings that we have. You know, there's a way in which we don't trust that we're going to (laughs) remember, you know, later. Yeah, yeah. So if it's just... uh, I would really look at the motivation. Sometimes people need to write if they're going through a difficult time and, we, and you talk with the, one of the teachers and sometimes it is helpful. But a lot of it will be um, a fear that we're not going to be wise you know, four months from now and that we need to refer back to that. Uh, and in that way I would discourage it. Yeah. It's that... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know if, I don't think directions themselves, but if you, uh, uh, where the office is, there's a stairway that goes upstairs, and all the interviews are up that stairway, and when you get to the top of the stairway, go to the right around that um, corner, and all the interviews are down that uh, hallway. And just ask someone if you can't find it. Michelle, I think there's a little map at the top of the stairs. Okay. Thanks. Mm-hmm. I get on a sensation and I, I get it and I'm really glad and then my mind wanders mm-hmm. and I don't know which one to go back to. I would I would pick an anchor that holds you know, that mostly you come back to one anchor. So we we're trying to introduce 
different uh, ways of anchoring in the present moment because some people find the breath really helpful, some people find sound really helpful, some people find a combination of body, breath, or body, sound helpful. So if you're used to using the breath as an anchor, I would, if you notice the mind wandering, just, just go back to the breath as the initial anchor. If, is, it, is that helpful? Yeah, just, just come back to the breath. And if, if you have any questions about that, I would, um, you know, we're all unique in how we work with the anchor in the present moment. So uh, in your interviews, I would really make use of that time to ask questions about that, how it's working for you, and um, we'll help you if, if you're having any question or doubt about how you're working with it. probably depends on who you ask. Um, (laughs) uh, I think we're all trying to uh, encourage both and what works for you. And and I think that wherever we are in our practice, certain things, you know, certain techniques will be helpful for some at some times, some at other times. Uh, Like this morning, I think what I was trying to uh, encourage is to start open and then to gradually focus, if you're having trouble focusing, open again. Uh, so that you can, uh, there's no ultimate um, right way. It's more doing what's useful for you in the moment. Ultimately letting go of control and letting it happen as it happens is the freest. Uh, so see, see what works for you. Usually we're finding that for most people being open at the beginning and then focusing as much as you can. And then within the sitting you'll find that at times focusing will be really helpful uh, and it'll really um, stabilize the mind at times. Other times it'll feel like it's too tight and opening will be more helpful. And again, I think that if you think of a radio and find the fine-tuning when you're really trying to tune in a station, we'll all be different in how that fine-tuning in being in the present moment works for us. And really try to make use of the interviews in terms of finding how you're going with it. Not too spaced out, not too tight, but just right. <laughs> You're 
all here. You've survived the first two days of practice. The third day is here. You seem good. So I guess you all know there's interviews today. Um, <laughs> have a good day. Uh, keep working with just settling in, you know, gently, and have a lot of patience with yourselves. Have a good day. To an yeah, um, this is stuff that, that came up for me out of Joseph's talk last night about mm-hmm. desire. Mm-hmm. Um, like he talked about how it can be invisible to us because it's so ingrained and, 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 and how fantasy can uh, desire underlie fantasy. And I've been aware that almost all of what I call thinking takes place in the form of fantasy. Um, Like imaginary, uh, it's not exactly a conversation, there's somebody there listening, but it's more a monologue. (laughs) (laughs) um, But of course there's nobody there. It's just in my head, and and, you know, I tried to to, to look at that. and you know, I'm, I'm wanting to be recognized and admired, you know, this, this desire. And, and then I try to look kind of underneath that, and there's just, you know, what does that give me? So that, that allows me to like um, feel good about myself. And then there's like, do, do I need that to feel good about myself? Mm-hmm. Um, and I just, this spins endlessly for me. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, when I try to think about that, stuff even, I'm thinking of it in terms of, you know, talking to you or somebody about right, it. Right, right. <laughs> um, and I think to do, now this is where the question comes in. Mm-hmm. I, I went coaching. Um, there, there's, I think there's three things that I can think to do with it. One is to kind of reflect on it when I catch it, you know, what am I getting from this? Um, what it might it be like if I didn't have this desire and, and, and to feel what it's like at each point. Um, I, I forget what else there was. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Do I have to repeat that question? <laughs> We're supposed to repeat the questions, but um, I think you all heard that the question is around desire and uh, the kind of monologue that goes on that um, he's aware of that uh, it's hard to figure out really how to work with skillfully. I think that's what you're asking. Um, mostly, I think what's important is our relationship to what's happening. And I think that the way that I um, am hearing you working with it is more like trying to figure it out. And so in that moment where you're trying to figure it out, I would really pay attention to trying to figure it out. Because there's a, de- there's a desire in that. It's, it's like, um, you know, for me, if I hear that monologue, I just note hearing. 
because I think that that's, in that moment, that's, <clears throat> you can just treat it like that. It's just hearing. But if we try to start to dig out all the layers underneath it, uh, Vipassana isn't necessarily trying to dig out anything except to just really be aware of the process of how something's happening. And if we're getting caught, to, to step back and look at our relationship to it. So I think that if you can step back and notice the relationship to it without getting caught in trying to figure it out, it would be helpful. But I think if you start getting caught in figuring it out, which is very seductive, you know, we can really rationalize that one, you know, because we're here to understand. And I think that line between just noticing the process of how something's happening and getting in there and kind of starting to really... uh, figure it out. It's different. That's different. And the way I really tell if I'm getting lost in figuring it out is I look at the watch and after five or ten minutes, if you're still, you know, well, (laughs) trying to figure it out, you're caught. So mostly I would just, if, if hearing isn't an appropriate metaphor for you with it, I would try to figure out another note for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm having an exhaustion problem with fasting. Every time I sit, uh, I think probably part of the time it's more because I'm sitting, I'm more aware of it. Uh, but it's associated in my mind with a lot of specific kinds of aversion and And I'm not sure which is coming first, whether I'm sleeping or my thinking is more aware. When we get to the point where we can't face the day, I would say one is getting, you know, one has been investigating it maybe even too much. It's like, um, I would recommend if it's getting to that point that you do at times sit in the library. Or usually the first two weeks of a long retreat like this, I'll sit in a, on a cushion, then a bench, then a chair, cushion, bench, chair, just for my, you know, my because I have a lower back problem. Uh, it helps me ease into the schedule. Because the first two weeks, unless you've had an unusual life, it's a, it's a big change for the body to get adjusted to that posture. Although some people have the karma where it's much easier than others. Within that, I would work with it according to your energy. So if you're low energy, I would really try to develop an awareness that isn't going to that pain. Try to stay away from it when you're low energy. Really try to go to the breath or hearing. Because if you're tired, it's going to become a war and you'll lose. You know, if we're tired, we don't usually have the energy to have the mindfulness to see it clearly. And there'll become a, a pattern of getting lost in it and, and almost like developing aversion to it. We'll reinforce the aversion to it. 
if you're high energy, there's a real chance to be mindful of it and going into that area and really investigating what it is that we call pain and unpleasantness. And when there's mindfulness, we see through the resistance. It's like there isn't a resistance to the unpleasantness. There's an ability to open to it, sink into that experience, and not, not have a problem with it. And that's very invigorating, energizing. Uh, we understand. You know, so at those times, I would really go into it. And then, but keep up a relationship with the breath if it's a chronic area. And then medium energy, instead of going into the core of it, try to go to the edges of it, so that you're not in that pain all the time. You know, the, the part of the practice is developing this flexibility of attention that can move away from areas as well as go into them. Uh-huh. We tend to be conditioned to have resistance to unpleasant experiences. And when there isn't much mindfulness, when we're tired, we tend to try to get into the pain, but we can't because there's so much resistance. And it's you, I really encourage people to tend to move away rather than go into the pain, either feel the edges of the resistance. It's okay, just explore the resistance or move to the breath to the resistance. Um, and when there's mindfulness, there's the ability to either say, oh, resistance, and to, to go into it, allow it, and usually we can sink right into that unpleasant sensation at that point. The resistance melts. And when we can actually get inside that unpleasant experience, it's usually fine. It's throbbing, stabbing, burning. You know, it's usually one of the you know, more... Um, Pain is a very intense sensation. <laughs> and we usually can notice some change when the mindfulness is there within it. At least it's throbbing, or at least it's hard, but there'll be a sense of there's space around it.
There's a lot to be learned in precision. Um, I think that how I would recommend working with that is if you can, at times, bring the attention to a more precise focus and investigate in that way. If you can, do it. But if you can't, work with the open awareness. You know, and, and try not to see one as more important than another. They're both very valid ways of experiencing, and they're both, both important to cultivate. Uh, so that there'll be times, mostly, I would, it's, it's very hard to do that very precise awareness because it takes a lot of energy. And to try to maintain that all day um, would be impossible at this point in the retreat. But it's very helpful. It's a balance. You know, the, to say that open awareness is, is uh, more important than precise awareness, or precise awareness more important than open, they're, they're both useful and workable for us at times. It's good to know how to do both. Uh, and ultimately, we're, we're moving toward an awareness that doesn't control anything. You know, there, that, that uh, there wouldn't be any control. The awareness would just be open or more precise just as, as it rolled along. But we're not always in that choiceless awareness. Uh, so if you don't have choiceless awareness and you have a choice, <laughs> then I would go to what seems appropriate at the time. Uh, so if you have some energy and interest in being more focused and precise, go for it. Try it. And it, you'll be able to maintain it for a certain amount of time, and then you won't be able to maintain it anymore. And try the open awareness at that time. And see how that goes. See if you can play with it. Uh, and if you feel confused, go to the, the anchor in the present moment that works for you, the, the most, you know, it, that holds your attention. Um, there's one more question that I'll answer quickly, which is, uh, what is the purpose of walking meditation, concentration, or insight? It's both. Uh, the walking meditation, there's levels to why we do anything. So it's great to learn how to pay attention when we're walking. And that one reason for doing walking meditation is to pay attention <coughs> while we're walking. But there's that we can develop concentration in the walking and we can develop insight in the walking. Um, the, the movement of the legs is the anchor, just like the uh, hearing or the movement of the breath is the anchor. In the walking, it's the movement of the legs that's the anchor. And if other things arise while you're walking, like hearing, for example, if it's strong, Notice, you won't have a choice. If you're walking and a sound calls the attention, it'll be choiceless. Just let the attention know that hearing's taking place. And then when it's not calling the attention anymore, just go back to the walking. And if something, you know, say, you know, there's a big, huge, obsessive thought pattern or a big emotion that's happening and you can't pay attention to the walking, that's usually when we suggest to kind of stop the walking, really let whatever's happening, happening, and then continue to walk. 
but mostly we encourage just, you know, to keep walking through whatever's happening. Even if, you know, you notice hearing, you can keep walking. Um, but if, if something major is happening, sometimes it's helpful to stop, allow it, open the eyes, you know, open up, and then start in again. Well, it looks like we might have some vitamin D today. So <laughs> enjoy it while it lasts. <laughs> Not during the, no. It's okay. We're supposed to repeat the questions for the tape. That's why I'm smiling. The question is around... Um, I'll, I'll synthesize it. Uh, the question is about how to work with desire in a, a skillful way in the world. The awareness practice gives us the choice in terms of uh, whenever a thought appears in the mind, if we're not aware, we're usually just a victim of the thought process and we tend to um, go with different thoughts like, uh, I want this, I want that, without any kind of discrimination. So the mindfulness practice gives us the chance to be able to notice the thought process itself and to see if we're uh, identifying with a thought, believing a thought, uh, in a way that where we can really look at the intention on a very deep level underneath the thought and see if that action that we're about to do, if we're about to fulfill a desire, is healthy or not. And the way we determine that is to see if it's uh, healthy not only for ourselves but for other beings as well. Um, if one tends to be conditioned to think of others first, and not oneself, then the mindfulness practice will give one the choice to actually consider oneself as well as others. If one tends to think of oneself first and not consider others, then it also balances that. One can have the choice to consider others as well as oneself. Um, So there is such a thing as a healthy action, a skillful action. That's what, we're, that's what we're trying to develop. And that includes taking care of ourselves and considering others. So I think if you, if you have that kind of conditioning, 
whenever you have a choice around an action, it's important for you to consider the intention in terms of yourself as well as others. training with, that I received, working with that irritating monk was to understand that there are times when there are conditions that you can't do anything about. I couldn't do anything to him. I couldn't make him stop. I tried. And given that situation, I still was concerned about my own happiness. And doing whatever I could in order not to um, be tripped out by my own irritability. And it required, you know, as I acknowledged last night, a lot of really careful acknowledgement of what was going on in each moment of being irritated. In the world at large, often we don't have that steadiness of mind. But even a little bit can prevent us from acting in such a way that we're going to take a little irritation and make it into a crisis. So a little bit of mindfulness could stop uh, an unskillful reaction. And later when the irritation had um, subsided, maybe some careful reflection would give me uh, some ideas on how to approach that person without the anger being the vehicle for communication. Restraint and action. Mm. When we do the Brahma Viharas over the three months, I think you'll find that uh, the last Brahma Vihara, equanimity, is is a very powerful boundary practice the first three Brahma Viharas uh, help us to connect the heart with all beings and feel interconnected with all beings. But that doesn't mean that we don't um, <clears throat> know that we, we take responsibility for ourselves and we're, we're, we're the ones who need to also protect ourselves. On the, level of, on, on the level of no self, there's really, when we're aware that we're interconnected, we wouldn't neglect ourselves as part of the whole. We also wouldn't neglect others. There'd be an equality of how we care.
easier to practice here than out there at this point. <laughs> confused in meditation when I see visual stimuli. With my eyes closed, sometimes color patterns or sometimes strong pictures will come to the, the foreground. I don't really see myself as thinking, though, and I get confused whether I should be noting that or... I would note seeing. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting to really... Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's great because, it, in a way, what we call a thought, you know, just like what we call a hand, what our experience of hand is is very different than often what we think hand is or see hand is. But when we bring our attention and actually feel the sensations, it's a whole universe in itself. And the thought process, we might think that it's just maybe words. But actually, if you look very closely, there's a lot of seeing in thinking. And it's to be able to, the more quiet you'll get, the more you'll be able to just note seeing. And then if you have a lot of awareness, see what happens to the image when you note it. Yeah. I hope about other things. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, yesterday, uh, I was practicing pretty hard, and during the uh, hour-long sit in the afternoon, uh, about uh, 45 minutes into it, I I had some really painful uh, physical sensations going on. Mm-hmm. And um, I noted that uh, I had a perception that if I stayed with it, that um, uh, my energy would get really high and um, I'd sort of uh, lose my focus a little bit. Um, and that was, that was just from past experience. So. Um, I had a choice of, you know, either to uh, try to remove the pain by moving or to um, just stay with it. So I said, well, the practice is just to, uh, you know, stay with it and observe what happens. So, um, so I stayed with it and then um, for like an hour after that, what I had expected was true. And so like during eating dinner, it was really hard for me to be mindful. My energy was like really high, and I was really angry, um, and sort of out of balance. So mm-hmm. uh, that's what my question really comes down to is, if you can see an imbalance coming up like that, uh, you know, is it best just to stick with it and, and see what's going to happen, or to go with your perception about it? And the question is, <clears throat> the question is around <clears throat> working with physical pain about forty five minutes into a sitting he had the experience and has had the experience of when he brings his attention to it uh, it's very energizing uh, and he fe- and feels like it uh, threw him off balance so the question is whether to observe this pain in that way or to move or something else. I would, I would treat it in 
kind of levels. So when that, when that choice comes up, when you're in the sitting and 45 minutes into the sitting, it's like that. The first thing I would do would be to not... When you bring your attention into it, are you bringing it all the way into it or are you observing it from a distance? Mm-hmm. Uh, because when it gets really painful, I try to um, go all the way into it and, and focus in on mm-hmm. it. So you bring your attention really close to it. Yeah. That would be, if you, ca- if you do that, that's what will make it energizing. If you, if you go kind of more open and, and notice it from a distance, or even go to sounds and ignore it, it wouldn't, you wouldn't, I don't think you'd get so energized. It's fine. It's also fine to move, but I would I would take it in steps. So instead of bringing the attention and going way into into the core of it, if you know that energizes you, I would move away from it, back to the breath, observe it from a distance. You might get called into the pain, but then you would just leave it, notice it from a distance, open up to sound, so that you can keep the balance with it. So you don't have to always go into the core of it to, to notice it or explore it. With something like this, it really helps to have like a flexibility of attention, like an elastic band. And if you go into it and stay in there a long time, the concentration usually increases and the energy might increase, but there might not be the m- mindfulness, this non-judgmental attention. That's usually what throws us off. So if we don't have that very, um, the intention to understand when we go into that area, an area of pain, usually we'll get irritated because there'll be, we're not in balance and we might get more concentrated, but we might not understand anything. So that's, that's, that's really the key here, is if there's mindfulness, you can explore it, but if there isn't, I would... I would open up, move in and out of it, or ignore it entirely for a while. Um, and if it comes to the point of that you're, it's an endurance test and there's a lot of aversion building up, then it's okay to move. It's a good question. question. Um, if you see your posture starting to slouch, it's okay just to pull up straight? That's, or do you need to just hold the mm-hmm. attention and study it and watch it? <laughs> the, question, the question is about slouching. If you notice that the posture is starting to slouch, uh, should one move back up or just notice oneself slouching and slouching <laughs> and slouching? <laughs> uh, Most of the time, I would say to notice that one's slouching, be aware of the intention to move back, and be aware of the whole process of the sensations of moving back, so that you're not treating that as an interruption of your practice, but part of the practice. There are times when the mindfulness and the energy and concentration might be very powerful, you know, you would know it because you'd think that you were having a peak experience. You know, you'll know that you're very um, present and alert. 
sometimes at those times, if you're starting to slouch, it's better not, better not to move up at that point. Um, but that's, that's kind of rare in a day. Most of the time I would, I would sit up because it'll be energizing to sit up. So most important, um, please don't write notes to each other in the hall. Have a good day. Oh, also, there was one more announcement. If you're, if you're, uh, any questions this morning? The question is about um, working with emotion and wondering how to skillfully work with it if uh, watching the emotion and the thought, uh, if it's skillful to back away and get uh, involved in the dukkha storm, did you say? In some ways, a feeling of play, I think, has an element of flexibility, and I think that that's nice. You wouldn't want to purposefully choose to get involved in a thought. I mean, if you cannot get involved in a thought, it would be more skillful not to. The idea in the practice is to let go of control as much as possible, because any controlling is really aversion or attachment. So in this case, you know, if you feel like you want to step back 
and just see what happens if you don't control, um, that would be having an element of flexibility, flexibility or play with it. But you wouldn't, you wouldn't have the intention to get lost in it. That, <laughs> you know, that would um, be like intending not to see clearly. I wouldn't reinforce that. Right. Mm-hmm. You would, just like a cloud that passes through the sky, if sadness arises and a thought, a thought comes and then the sadness comes and then a thought comes and embarrassment comes, you would just, just let that happen and with awareness. And that's where you're, you're free. The awareness is free. The awareness isn't caught in it, it's just noticing it passing through. Just like noticing a sound, it's just like noticing a sound pass through, or noticing a physical sense, the breath come through. It's just watching sadness come through. The question is about getting lost, um, even though one has the strong intention to be with the breath. Um, we can have a strong intention to be with something like the breath or to not judge, but that doesn't mean we can't, can control what happens. It's good to set the stage with an intention, the intention to be, 
clear, for example, when you start to sit or whatever can you connect with, with an intention. And then it's a matter of letting go of control and noticing what happens. So to, to have an idea that you could even sit for 10 minutes and not have a thought, you know, to think that you can just be with a breath for 10 minutes without even having one thought pass through, that's not the purpose of the meditation. Um, it's, it, can, it can be frustrating that we get lost, but often around this time in the retreat, people will feel like they're doing worse than they had been at the beginning because actually the mindfulness is stronger and you'll be noticing more how much you get lost. Whereas at the beginning of the retreat, one wouldn't have noticed that many moments of getting lost. The, the mindfulness is sharper, actually. So it could be that you're doing better than ever, but you're noticing more how much the attention wanders. And, and it, 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 can be, I'm not, it can be frustrating, but a lot of it is learning that that's how it is. You know, that there's a deeper acceptance that the mind wanders. And then when you find that you're lost, it's just, oh, lost, great. It's okay. And they come into just anchor again. And even if you get lost the next second, you just anchor again. And a lot of it is beginning again and beginning again and beginning again and beginning again and beginning again. (laughs) It just, it's endless beginning again. It depends how you theorize what the change is going to come out of. I think the change comes out of mindfulness itself. Um, it, it, it doesn't come by making anything happen. And I think if you're worried about balancing effort, you know, I think that if one becomes too soft or too receptive, one can tend to go to sleep. Uh, and if one becomes too much of a I'm going to make this happen no matter what, one gets really tight. And in either way, the attention isn't balanced. You know, so if you work with acceptance for a while, and it fi- feels like it's getting so soft that there's no energy, then you would bring back you know, more of a um, determination. But uh, if you expect to be kind of balanced all day with energy and determination, again, it's, it's much more of a sense of uh, you'll hit these places of balance and then you'll find that you're more in the accepting place and then you might be more in the warrior place. And just see if you cannot take it personally but let it just happen. Balance yourself according to these impersonal factors of energy rather than thinking that it's you. Patience. I kind of feel like I'm in the practice double drums right now. And there was talk the other night about forgiveness upward curve. <laughs> 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 
right, right. Right, right, right. The, the question is about feeling like there's a sense of doldrums in his practice rather than an upward curve of um, progress, one would say. Um, if you have an image of doldrums, it's like, say there's a boat, a sailboat, way out in the sea, and there's no wind. What can you do about it? You wait. But you do the best. The, the more, every moment that you come back to the present moment isn't wasted. Something's happening. Yeah, I noticed being the practice leader, mm-hmm. somehow that gives you a lot of juice. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Uh huh. It's peer pressure. <laughs> That's one of the benefits of sitting with a group. You know, it, there's a lot, you know. I remember when I used to sit in my room, and I'd, you know, in the back <laughs> years ago, and I'd be really careful walking around. And the moment I walked in my room, I'd shut the door and I'd go, Yippee! I don't have to be mindful. <laughs> throw things around, and it would be like, oh, you know, there's some power in being with a group because there's more energy for being here. But, but try to have patience with the times when there's no wind, because the wind will come back, and, and it doesn't... Please don't try to judge your practice. Where, you know, it's like you have no idea. The more the retreat goes on, you'll have no idea where you are. But I can assure you that it's moving. Yeah.